Hello and welcome to The Climate Clinic, a podcast brought to you by the Global Consortium on Climate and Health Education. My name is Adesh Sundarayson and I'm a doctor from University College London. In this series, Be the Expert, I'll be joined weekly by my co-host, Dr. Mark Butenik, an emergency physician from Los Angeles. Each week, Mark and I will bring you the latest headlines from climate and health research from the leading evidence-based journals from around the world. Tune in to learn about the health implications of climate change, how this is affecting us today, and what needs to be done. By the end of it, you'll know all you need to know in order to be the expert. Welcome back to Be the Expert with myself, Adesh Sundarayson and Dr. Mark Futanek. You're listening to the second episode in our series on the health impacts of climate change for those living in the built environment and our cities. Today, we're exploring a review published by the Environmental Health Review, which is a part of the Journal of the Canadian Institute of Public Health Inspectors, in October this year, 2022. This review was titled Climate Change and Opportunistic Pathogens in the Built Environment. Mark, can you summarise for our listeners the premise of this article, please? So, Adesh, the authors looked at the impact that climate change is having on opportunistic pathogens within the built infrastructure, meaning our plumbing, pools, spas, even green infrastructure like cool roofs, even roadside puddles, which can act as reservoirs for disease. By opportunistic pathogens in this article, they're referring to microbes that are naturally present in the soils, in surface water and groundwater, groundwater, but also thrive in the built environment, and particularly in our plumbing systems. And then, of course, they touched on solutions to reduce the risk to public health from these key opportunistic pathogens. I also want to add that this is yet another review article that we're talking about. Not all of our papers have been reviews, but the majority have, and I just thought I'd sort of address why we're starting out that way. And that's that when you first explore a subject, you want to get the big picture so you can see where there are opportunities for deeper investigation or even gaps in our knowledge. And a review of the published research on a topic really allows you to get that bigger, complete picture. And then this foundation gives us context for individual research articles and how they fit into the bigger picture. And some of these have really robust, novel findings that might change our perspective in a meaningful way. But most studies just either add a little specific piece of evidence that's missing, or they further confirm or clarify known findings so that we can feel more confident about them. So in this review, they looked at three main opportunistic pathogens. These were Legionella, Pseudomonas, and non-tuberculous mycobacterium. Now, these opportunistic pathogens that they've considered share some common features. They all prefer warmer water, so 25 to 40 degrees Celsius is their kind of optimal temperature um, to propagate in. They all have some resistance to raised temperatures, so they can even survive up to you know, 50, 60 degrees Celsius. Uh, they also survive disinfection. They share the ability to form biofilms within pipes and plumbing. So Mark, for our listeners who may not be familiar, biofilms are basically this, this gathering and assemblage of, of these microbial cells, polysaccharides, minerals, nutrients, debris, and silt. And the biofilm allows these opportunistic pathogens to colonize the, the plumbing and shelter themselves from the disinfection that we put into the piping and the water as well. These opportunistic pathogens also differ from other types of waterborne pathogens that we might be familiar with, like E. coli or enteric bacteria. These tend to be removed by the traditional water treatments that we introduce and typically don't re-emerge following the treatment. In contrast, these opportunistic pathogens can actually increase in concentration 
as the water travels from its source, the reservoir or wherever we're getting it from, to the point of use, as often the conditions that exist within the piping, such as temperature, the presence of these biofilms, and actually, ironically, a reduced competition with these enteric bacteria that we've wiped out with our disinfection, favors the survival and growth of these opportunistic pathogens. For those of you who will check out the paper um, or who are interested, the authors have created a really neat table which go through these three pathogens, so Pseudomonas, Legionella, and, and the non-tuberculous mycobacterium. They've gone through the descriptions of all three of them, the optimal growth conditions, transmission routes, specific health outcomes, and the groups that are most vulnerable. So jumping onto that, Mark, who can you tell us a little bit about who might be most at risk from these opportunistic pathogens? So as we see with so many of these threats, those with pre-existing comorbidities are most likely to contract these illnesses and suffer the most harm. So people with diabetes, those who are immunodeficient, cancer patients, for instance, or those taking um, drugs that make them immunocompromised, um, and certainly patients who uh, have respiratory issues, you know, have baseline compromise, um, but other risk factors like people who smoke and homelessness. Um, and that leads to there are also socioeconomic factors that really increase the risk, things like race, the neighborhood you live in, um, poverty levels are very impactful, but especially the occupational risk that some people have, you know, based on their, their exposures. So most of the exposures of, to these opportunistic pathogens in the built environment are associated with what they call in the article is premise plumbing or really the on-site plumbing. Um, and this is direct contact and especially inhalation of contaminated aerosols from, you know, the taps, the spigots that we use, our shower heads when you flush the toilet or from cooling towers, which are the air conditioning units, all of which aerosolize the pathogens that are living in the water or on the pipes. So Mark, how is climate change affecting the growth of these pathogens and their transmission? So increasing ambient temperatures are expected to enhance the survival and the propagation of these pathogens in the built environment. We're already seeing seasonal increases in some of these organisms. So as the temperature is changing, we're seeing that these infections are starting earlier and lasting longer. And so that obviously gives us a hint as to what the future holds. But we also have to be careful because it's not always the case. For instance, temperature doesn't always correlate with elevated cases of legionellosis in all climates. And that's because hot, dry climates with low relative humidity um, aren't particularly uh, conducive to legionella's growth. And so in those areas, as the temperature increases and it becomes even drier, um, there may be a decrease in legionella, which is also sensitive to UV inactivation. So the details of each individual pathogen are complex, but when you look at the overall results, um, they are concerning. So the rising ground temperature can also elevate the water temperature in the distribution pipes below and cause soil temperatures to warm. And then we also have to consider the heat that's absorbing from our land cover in our built environment, such as pavement, roads, um, which warms the system further. So climate change can make it hard to maintain cool water temperatures within the distribution systems, which are really essential to limit pathogen growth. As the water warms, there's more growth, and also the ability to form more of this biofilm, which protects the pathogens from disinfection. They also talked quite a bit about disinfectants and this disinfectant residual and balancing the toxic effects of disinfectants 
versus the disinfectant residual or remaining disinfectant, which provides a low level of protection against these pathogens. And then when this is too low, the pathogens can regrow more aggressively. So the key is maintaining the water below 25 degrees or above 55 degrees in order to control these opportunistic pathogens. But this is becoming much more difficult as climate change hits. The cool water temperatures are hard to achieve. And then having to disinfect more of our water using high temperature is really costly and energy intensive. So they also touched on the impacts that storms and extreme rainfall can have on these pathogens. So heavy rain, flooding, storms, they all risk introducing contamination, such as nutrients, organic carbon, into the source water and the soils. And these improve the conditions for the growth of these pathogens. Uh, it also makes the source water even harder to treat. Storms and winds affect the survival, the distribution and the growth of these pathogens. They managed to find studies which had show demonstrated that US states with higher occurrence of hurricanes tend to have higher prevalences of non-tuberculous mycobacterium lung disease, potentially due to an increased aerosolization. Storms also transport um, windblown debris as well. So these risk contaminating cooling towers with organic matter. And this organic matter that gets dumped in the cooling towers and the storms and, the, and, the, and the, the gusts of wind deplete the residual disinfectants that are in there, reduce the dissolved oxygen. And they, this all favors the growth of these opportunistic pathogens as well, Mark. They also pointed out that our increased demand for adaptive cooling in the built environment and as climate change progresses affects opportunistic pathogen growth and transmission. So for instance, air conditioning is really the primary cause of outbreaks of Legionella. And so colonization of the cooling towers um, in air conditioning units leads to the aerosolization, aerosolization, difficult word, um, of the pathogen, which then disperses it over a wide area. And a lot of big outbreaks have happened at things like conventions. Um, they also talked about water features, public parks, um, and other public venues like restaurants using a lot of mister, misters to cool people off as the temperatures increase, which is really aerosolized water. So there's a real risk for Legionella and Pseudomonas in these misters and aerosolizations, as well as other you know, water features. Um, so they talked about how Legionella can stay airborne for a few minutes after dispersion, but Pseudomonas can stay airborne for 45 minutes so significant risk. And we already see pseudomonas infections pretty commonly in things like um, hot tubs and other sort of, you know, public use water, um, water sources. They also then touched on the green infrastructure. As we're putting in more cool roofs and just generally, um, you know, more, more greenscape, which we're pushing to do, those greenscapes all need water distribution systems in order to sustain the plants. So that could serve as a reservoir and a point source for opportunistic uh, pathogens or infections. Um, but this is really a theoretical one. There's limited evidence for this at this point, and hopefully using you know, appropriate water temperature controls and other controls in our water systems, and then using drip systems um, versus really pressurized water systems um, will help mitigate those risks. Finally, they also touched on how our changing patterns of water consumption is affecting these opportunistic pathogens as well. So we're employing water efficient behaviors now for, you know, to conserve our, our water in our built environments, low flow fixtures, water efficient devices, uh, and these will reduce the demand from distribution systems um, 
or premise plumbing or the plumbing we have in our buildings. But that increases the time that water is spent in pipes, what is referred to as the age of the water. And higher water age is associated with more favorable conditions for opportunistic pathogen growth. So you can imagine this is low flow, kind of not quite stagnant, but just low flow um, water, which is sitting in the pipes for longer periods of time. Um, intermittent use can temporarily increase the water age as well. Sometimes we open our taps, sometimes we don't, you know, the, the, the water is switched off and on at times. And this really can feed into the growth of these biofilms um, so, which protects the opportunistic pathogens and facilitates their propagation. Uh, and they subsequently get remobilized by, sub, by periods of heavier use, um, which increase the risk of exposure then after that. Other devices, such as low-flow showerheads, reduce water consumption using um, water uh, atomizing technology, which really produces smaller water droplets as well. But the smaller droplets increase the generation of aerosols and particles that are suitable to inhale, um, but really, we need, as you mentioned, more research to identify if this really, in a meaningful way, enhances our risk of infection. Another way in which our changing patterns of water consumption is affecting these pathogens is rainwater harvesting. So this is a great initiative you know, undertaken in a lot of regions in the world which are undergoing extreme lack of rainfall or droughts. But the, the, and the risks from rainwater harvesting really vary by pathogen. They vary by the weather, the cleanliness of the surface you're collecting the water in, the storage container, and the, the type of water use as well, you know, what you're using that collected water for. Obviously, this, you know, this review came out of Canada, and many Canadian provincial and, and municipal jurisdictions have produced guidance on rainwater harvesting specifically. And these need to be updated and expanded as more and more people employ this technique. So I live in Southern California, Dash, and, and it doesn't rain frequently here. So I do some rainwater harvesting. I've got a rain barrel. So it looks like I need to start thinking about some of these issues, making sure I'm uh, keeping things safe. So let's finally address some of the solutions aspect of this review. And our listeners will know that we always pick articles that, that have solutions as well as outlining the problems because, you know, that's what we really need to, uh, to address. So how can we reduce the risk of these harms to our health? So number one, they talked about distribution systems. So historically, secondary disinfection in these systems with chlorine and chloramine has been used, but climate change might make this harder because it makes it more difficult to maintain the disinfectant residuals in distributed water. So warming can speed the decay of the residuals, increase the growth of these microbial agents, and also the presence of more organic compound um, degrades the, uh, the disinfectant. But higher dosing of disinfectants alone isn't necessarily a great solution because then there's more formation of disinfection byproducts, which can have toxic or carcinogenic effects. And so we might need to figure out other better controls, such as more upstream treatment to remove the organic compounds um, that react with the disinfectants or better temperature controls to decrease the loss of residual disinfection. We also talked about premise plumbing, which is the on-site plumbing and how water management plans can assist controlling opportunistic pathogens from these sources by identifying these at-risk areas for colonization. And they talked about public health professionals working more closely with engineers and the people who are building our, uh, our cities to identify and reduce these risks. And some of those suggestions included increasing the use of thermal controls or point of use treatments to reduce these pathogens or prevent colonization, things like 
maintaining hot water above 55 degrees Celsius, or doing periodic hot water flushing during low use periods to try to clear out some, some of these infections that can build up these pathogens. Um, cleaning the faucets and shower heads more regularly, reducing water age, as Adesh was talking about, by appropriately sizing pipes and storage systems, regularly flushing the systems. And we need to just understand more about pipe materials, particularly as it relates to this opportunistic pathogen growth biofilm formation, and then the transmission um, to humans or downstream in, in the piping um, as we continue to build new buildings. And then at the municipal level, they discuss the use of cooling tower registries to improve awareness of potential sources of exposure to opportunistic pathogens um, with the idea that this can reduce cooling tower or air conditioning associated outbreaks. So in summary, Mark, it seems that the solutions are mostly centered around surveillance, potentially increased or different ways to disinfect our water, because um, it seems we can't just dump a whole load more chlorine and chloramine into it. Um, some point of use measures for high risk patients, which are still theoretical. It's clearly still an area, though, that we need novel approaches. We need more research to prevent these issues, you know, the issues of uh, biofilm resistance, new disinfection practices, this needs innovation, this this area. So we also need some downstream measures, and, and these are going to involve some trade-offs in terms of balancing the water treatment, as we've mentioned with chlorine and chloramine and other disinfectants, with other public safety concerns. So, you know, scalding, disinfection byproducts, address cooling demands as well, and sustainability. You know, we're trying to conserve our water, we're trying to conserve our energy. At the same time, we're trying to balance some of the complications in the built environment that we've discussed today, well, by keeping things low flow, by, you know, intermittently switching off the water flow through those pipes, well, you actually risk some of these pathogens um, propagating. So we need some upstream measures as well to protect the source water that are going to subsequently reduce the downstream risk within our distribution networks as well, Mark. Yeah, so actions to prevent the rising cases of opportunistic pathogen-related infections driven by climate change can be directed towards the most at-risk buildings or systems and even individuals that we know are more vulnerable or more at risk. This could include targeting retrofit measures, raising awareness among at-risk groups of these sources of exposure, as well as uh, raising awareness among city planners, the people who are building our cities, so that we can implement solutions up front that reduce the risks to human health. Thank you very much, Mark. And thank you to all of our listeners. You've listened to another episode of Be The Expert. And next week, tune in for our final episode in this current series on the built environment and our health, where we will be discussing and exploring the impact of green space or nature-based interventions on our health, cardiovascular health, and cancer-related outcomes from a study that was recently published in PLOS One.